sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Acts uh, chapter 10, and hopefully you can follow along. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And Conrad, would you come on up and share with us? Oh, God. <laughs> Almost knocked a... Uh guitar over there, but uh, <laughs> no musician. Um, well, grace and peace to you this Sunday. Uh, it's uh, a joy to be able to uh, share uh, God's word with you. Um, and God willing, maybe by the end of May, we, all, we will all be gathering together. I guess it depends on what the health authorities in Denmark think is best. But to begin, I want us to reflect on and trace the significance of this passage a bit, because in Acts 10, we see God's drama of redemption taking a historic turn. It's a monumental, or it's so monumental that it shatters Peter's theological paradigms and expectations. Uh, and after tracing its significance, we'll make our way through the narrative and see what's going on there. So in this passage, we see God's gospel is going global and is going to ignite the wick of ancient promises that have long awaited the flame of God for their fulfillment. All the way back in Genesis, where God initiates his redemptive plan, he says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And to Isaac, the Lord reaffirmed this, saying, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And again to Jacob, the Lord said, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring, uh, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And it is looking back to these promises that Paul says something in Romans 8 that would be incredibly inflammatory to, to the first century Jewish mind. But he can say it because of what God does in Acts 10, our passage say. He says, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. 
or, or to say it a bit differently, we can say it is not those who have the genetic makeup of Abraham who are the children of God, but those who have the genetic makeup of the gospel are counted as offspring. Uh, and as I consider the type of church that we are, uh, the fact that we are an international church, and today we get to read Acts 10, uh, it's just a significant passage for us because it's a turning point, and it was the key to unlocking, uh, to unlocking, excuse me, international worship. Most of us here, uh, and those who are listening, we are not from ethnic Israel, and we are not offspring of Abraham according to the flesh. Most of us uh, are a diverse group of Gentiles. We are those who are grafted into Israel because of God's grace, kindness, and electing purposes. We are the beneficiaries of God's ancient promises to Abraham and Israel. We are from the nations that are blessed through those. We, we are Europeans and Africans and Asians and North and South Americans and Australians and Islanders. And if we trace back our ancestry far enough, we would find distant family, family members of ours that worship the gods of Rome and Egypt and Scandinavia and Babylon, tribal deities, nature, dead ancestors, spiritual forces of darkness, and even deceptive and misleading variations on Yahweh himself like are presented in Islam and various heresies and cults. But that is opposed to Israel where, as they had the covenants, the law, the promises, the worship, and the patriarchs, as Paul says, that is the heritage of Israel. And most of us being Gentiles, our ancient religious heritage is not that. It's one of idolatry that led our ancestors to worship the musings of their own imagination or the created order or the deceptions of Satan. Their lives were defined by enslavement to sin and Satan, brutality and bloodshed, greed and deceit, uh, self-seeking and sexual perversion, cowardice and a craving for personal honor. As Paul says in Romans, by their unrighteousness, they suppressed the truth, because what can be known about God was plain to them because God had shown it to them. But claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for Zeus and Odin and Allah and Shiva and Marduk and Baal, or one of the other millions of deities or doctrines that have plagued the hearts of sinners. Therefore, Paul says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind, since they did not see fit to acknowledge him. Their craving was for sin, so God gave them up to pursue the deadly desires they so uh, earnestly clung to. But the seemingly endless cycle of Gentile idolatry and self-seeking isn't the end of the story. And Acts 10 is where we see a great light dawn upon the Gentile world, a world that had known almost nothing but deep darkness. Freedom from their enslaving gods and fleshly passions becomes manifest because God is beginning to draw people to himself from all nations. It doesn't matter what they worshipped, whether they worshipped at the feet of a statue or their own self-importance, or how they worshipped, whether it was through uh, chanting and magic in the northern forests of Europe, or whether it was by visiting a cult prostitute in, in Syria. Salvation has come to the Gentile world, and Jesus' church is now on mission to reach the nations, 
to proclaim the gospel in every land where the Father is drawing people to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, no matter how, rain, uh, how heinous or wretched their past may be. For those of us who are Gentiles, we find the inception of our Christian heritage here in the household of Cornelius, because it is in this place that the Lord began a new work among the nations. He had not reached out, or he had, uh, 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 he had not yet reached out to the, uh, sorry, uh, the, the, he had, uh, it was here where he severed us, the Gentile world, from our enslavement to our idols. Um, otherwise, we would still be walking in much of the same darkness that our ancestors had. But praise God for his mercy, because he saw fit to bestow knowledge of himself and his truth upon the many tribes of the world. That though even they were content in their ignorance, he knew they needed salvation. And though they had rejected and forgotten him, and they were not seeking him, he came seeking us. So let's let's dive into Acts 10. And I want us to begin by checking out Peter's interaction with the Lord in this trance that he fell into. And in verse 9, it says Peter, he, he goes on the roof to pray. And in the following verse, it says that, that he's hungry and wanted something to eat. And here in this uh, passage, I think we see it's this very interesting, almost comical side of God's nature. Because this, this set of events is rather quirky in how it unfolds. Here we find a hungry Peter. And the food his hosts are making isn't yet ready. So while, the pe while Peter's on the roof, the Lord shows up with a host of ritually unclean animals and says, you know, Peter, I know you're hungry. So here's a feast you can prepare for yourself. Eat these. He doesn't show up and give Peter an in-depth explanation of how he's going to restructure the life of faith by doing away with the Levitical laws of cleanliness. Instead, Jesus comes to a hungry Peter and presents to him a bunch of food that to eat would be to transgress the very law that Jesus had originally given to Israel. Naturally, Peter is, uh, is abhorred by the offer because he's never done such a thing and he's never wanted to do such a thing. He has sought to obey God's law by staying ritually clean and not consuming food that the Mosaic law for, had forbidden. And, and uh, it is with extreme emphasis at the end that the Lord says to Peter three times, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. And again, what God has made clean, do not call common. Then Peter's vision ends and the Lord says nothing more to him about it. And understandably, it says that Peter is, is perplexed. He's baffled. Jesus just wrecked Peter's paradigm regarding what is good and godly, what it means to follow God. Uh, for us modern Gentiles, it's so easy to read this story and nod along and see how it all makes sense uh, because we have the full picture. And, and we've never tried to uh, live by the Mosaic Law and apply uh, every aspect to our lives. But imagine... If all your life you had read and you knew Leviticus 11 very well, you knew the dietary laws that Yahweh had appointed. And because you loved him, you, you took great care to faithfully obey those. But one day, God puts an octopus in front of you and he says, rise, kill and eat this. It's not a test. Like I told Abraham, like when I told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, I'm, I'm serious. Eat this octopus. 
immediately your, your, your mind, your Jewish mind would have gone to chapter 11 of Leviticus, where God said every creature from the sea is detestable to you if it does not have fins and scales, which if you don't know octopuses, I'm sure most of you know what they're like, but they don't have fins or they don't have scales. They're very little slimy things. What, what would you do with that if God told you to break a law that he himself had written? What is Peter to do with his paradigm of obedience when it is obliterated by the lawgiver himself? In verse 17, uh, your translation may say Peter was inwardly perplexed or greatly perplexed or wondering. Uh, but what the Greek term there means is to be totally at a loss, to be so perplexed that there is no solution to your problem. That's what Peter was experiencing here. Uh, and oddly enough, the Lord is content at the moment to leave him there for the time being. Jesus breaks theological, uh, Peter's theological paradigm and then basically leaves. <laughs> Instead of giving a thorough understanding to Peter in that moment, providentially Jesus is going to sort out Peter's confusion by bringing him to Cornelius. But it isn't an immediate thing. And oddly enough, that's often how we see Jesus work. And, and it's often to much of our dismay. We don't like being left in a place of confusion like that. But he'll break down our expectations and our beliefs, whether it be faulty theology or our plans or, or a disordered worldview or perhaps a tragedy that occurs in our lives. And he doesn't always give us an answer to our questions or clear up our confusion immediately. Sometimes he lets us sit in bewilderment and we don't know how, are we, how we are to escape it. But even in those confusing times, he has a story to tell. And providentially, he is sorting it, sorting it out for his glory and our good. We recall our text last week when Eric uh, preached on Paul, then named Saul, his conversion. He was blinded by Jesus and he was simply told to enter a city and wait uh, for what to do next. So he waited for three days in blindness, both, both physically and metaphorically. Or Job, who was utterly perplexed by his suffering. Yahweh let Job sit in anguish for a time and have this long uh, theological discourse with his friends before showing up on the scene to set things straight and explain what was going on. The same is true with Abraham. God made a promise that he would have an heir of the flesh. But the Lord waited years to fulfill that promise until he and Sarah were well beyond the ability to have children. And I just say all this because it is our part to play in God's story. Uh, our part to play in God's story, that is, is faithful servants to live in trusting dependence upon him, even when our theology or our health or our families or careers or financial situations or academic studies even when these are wrecked and we are perplexed by what Jesus is doing, still we trust him and we follow him, even when the next step seems, seems totally contrary to our expectations, anticipations, or when we don't even know what the next step will be. We don't even know how to move. Like Peter in accepting an invitation with a bunch of Gentiles, which he probably never would have done had the Spirit not told him to do it, we have to accept what Jesus puts before us and know our great God is operating sovereignly in wisdom. And we are to put our trust in him even when we personally may be spinning with confusion, stress, or anxiety because he knows what he is doing in the situation even when we do not know. When Peter does arrive at Cornelius' house, 
he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And after hear, hearing Cornelius's story and how, how he's received a vision, Peter says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In hearing Cornelius's vision and being told by the spirit to go with Cornelius, Peter's confusion is turned to understanding. He realizes the gospel is not just for, for natural born Jews, but that it is indeed a global message, just as Jesus had said in Matthew 28. But that truth had a, had a hard time taking root in the hearts of Jewish believers to begin with. Contrary to the Jewish theology of the day, Peter heard Jesus say, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. And what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Yes, Israel was to live according to the Levitical law, but it was always a pointer to the gospel, a shadow of glories to come, an indicator of how pervasive and inescapable sin is, of how desperately we needed a redeemer to deal a death blow to our sin nature. It was as though God was saying to Israel in the law, you find this law tedious? You find this difficult to obey with perfection? Well, the fight against your indwelling sin is an even more impossible match. The law was never meant to be commandeered and used as a means to facilitate works-based justification and righteousness. The very purpose of the law was to crush all dreams of work, works-based righteousness by showing that it was folly to even attempt the law was rather always an exhortation to cast yourself upon God in faith, trusting that he would do something about your weak and sin-filled life that cannot keep this law. Because there is no way you are going to obey everything that he has commanded in it. This is Peter's great realization. It's why he preaches the gospel to Cornelius' household. It's why the Holy Spirit falls on them, just as it did uh, the day at Pentecost among the Jews. And it's why Peter declares that they should be baptized. Peter realizes that these Gentiles who did not pursue a righteousness or cleanliness through obedience to the law have access and have even attained righteousness through faith. It didn't matter what they were eating or wearing or how ritually unclean they were or if they were circumcised. They have peace with God because their sins are forgiven through faith, through loving and trusting in the person of Jesus. Our pagan and Gentile ancestors, no matter how religiously minded they were, they were defined by lawlessness. They would have been unclean according to the law and unrighteous according to God. But because of God's far-reaching grace, Forgiveness was extended to our, ancestor, to our ancestors, and it is extended to us presently. Not through obedience to a code of ethics, not by upholding a perfect moral fortitude, uh, or by believing the right type of doctrine, or being a part of the right type of denomination, but through Jesus, who alone is good and the only righteous. 
no amount of good works or righteous deeds can excuse previous, current, or future crimes of sin. Forgiveness of our sin for all time is only through Jesus. When he, uh, when we forfeit our life and embrace the crucified life. Knowing that our lives were condemned because of the evil that defined every aspect of our being, our thoughts, our actions, our purposes, our uh, intentions, we seek refuge in Jesus, whereby his mercy, we receive the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, so that we being justified by grace would no longer be pagan idolaters or self-seeking and self-promoting narcissists, but heirs of eternal life. And members of Israel because of God's mighty love for those who walk in darkness. We have passed from death in the flesh because of sin to possessing the resurrection life of Jesus. Escaping judgment for our sin because for our sake the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin. Condemning our sin in the flesh of Jesus in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be, might be fulfilled in us. Our old way of life, of living in lawless idolatry as our, gen as our Gentile ancestors is past. And now we live for the glory of God, to please Jesus and to know him and delight in his beauty. We don't mock Jesus on his way to the cross, but we also pick up a cross and follow after him because we know he has the words of eternal life. And for him were we made to display his glory and to enjoy the wonders of his fellowship forever. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. This is the glory of Acts 10, when God came to the household of Cornelius. For long ages, the world walked in darkness. But in the last days, the light of salvation and fellowship with God has shone upon the deep darkness that enshrouded the Gentile nations. But that is no more, because in Acts 10, God says the gospel is going global. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful that you have come. We're thankful, Father, for the work that you did uh, so long ago in sending Peter to the household of Cornelius to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Many, and that is what many of us are, Father. We are not inheritors of, 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 of uh, ethnic Israel. We, we are inheritors of, of uh, idolatry and paganism. But we are thankful, Jesus, that you did not leave our, our broken lives caught in sin and darkness. We are thankful, Jesus, that you have come, that you have spoken, that you have, have put your word into our hands and filled our lives with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for FIBC. I pray that this church, Father, would be one that, that displays the glory of God and that we, that, that your, your gospel would be upon our lips and that we would continue to speak it to Jew and Gentile. We love you, Father, and I pray, Father, that this week that you would comfort us by your spirit, satisfy us with, with your glory. We are thankful, Father, for who you are. We are thankful for the work you are doing. We love you, Jesus, and we know that it is only 
through the name of Jesus that we are saved, that our sins are forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.